if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We'll be in Habakkuk today, Habakkuk chapter 1. We'll finish up chapter 1 and just touch uh, into uh, chapter number 2. Um, but to kind of recap and get us all up to speed, you have Josiah, who is the king uh, of Judah at the time. And um, he has brought the nation of Judah back to repentance. He, he's brought them back to the Lord and, uh, because the nation at the time was worshiping pagan gods and uh, running after uh, pagan deities. And so uh, what happens is Josiah finds the scroll, what is believed to be the Torah, the, the, the book of the law, the first five uh, books of the Bible. They find that in the temple as they're restoring and cleaning the temple. And um, what they do is they begin to preach and proclaim it. And, and there's this mass repentance of the nation, mass repentance of, of, of men and women uh, being made aware of their sin and their condition and, and coming back to the Lord. And uh, revival breaks out in all domains of society, in all domains of society. And then Josiah, like um, the man that he was, uh, goes out to, to battle against the Egyptians uh, disguises himself and he goes out and he battles uh, against the Egyptians who had marched through uh, this country and he said no and uh, he meets them and as he meets them they battle. He, his life is taken in that battle. And then what happens in the nation, all the reforms that Josiah had led uh, goes away with his sons. Almost immediately they begin to rebuild the pagan temples and uh, start to worship foreign gods again. Uh, and so Habakkuk has grown enraged at this. Not at God for the death of Josiah, uh, but he's, he's mad uh, that God is letting uh, the people act this way, behave this way, be this way. And so what happens is uh, Habakkuk enters into a dialogue with God, enters into this conversation with God. And God answers Habakkuk in the affirmative. He gives Habakkuk the answer that he kind of wanted. But what he says, in essence, is, is I'm not idle. In fact, I'm sending these Chaldeans, this, this hasty and bitter and violent, horrific nation. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to send them as a tool of my judgment on you and on the people of Judah. And that's what we've seen so far. That's what we've seen happen in the story up to this point. And, and so just to kind of talk for a moment, because I believe we need to do some work here, uh, because some pretty difficult things are going to start to happen in this book. Some pretty uh, challenging things that are going to stretch us and challenge us are going to start to take place in this book. Because what happens is uh, we struggle and we can't take a response like this from God because of our view of God. Uh, our view of God so often is that of love. And hear me, there's biblical truth in that. Absolutely God is love. But the problem is the way that we define love in our culture. Uh, the problem is the way that we define love even in our world. I would even contend maybe the way that we define love even in the church is at hand as a problem. Because what I've learned about the word love is it's such a junk drawer word, is it not? And I know that because we make statements like this, I love my dog, but I also love my wife. And the problem with that is this, is that the same kind of love? Man, it better not be, you know what I'm saying? It better not be. And the reality is this, is that it's probably not. The way I, lo I love my dog, the way that I love my wife, I, I just don't believe that we're saying the same thing there. I don't believe that we're meaning the same thing. And so love has nothing to do at all with, with us, but it has more to do with uh, what someone or something can do for us. How it makes us feel, if it'll meet a certain need, or if it can uh, make me feel better about myself. And so what people mean when they say that God is love is that he's some sort of wrathless, fairy-like Tinkerbell who floats about sprinkling pixie dust on people, giving them anything and everything that they want. And the moment that he does, does not, he's not loving. 
or the moment that it appears that he overlooks something or he doesn't just do for us what he's never promised to do for us, we get mad and frustrated and flustered at it to where we say, well, he's not loving anymore or, or he can't be because of the way that he's doing it. And so church, what we've got to understand is that God is holy, that God is a just judge, which, which we love justice, don't we? I mean, if you watch TV at all, if you look in our world and our culture at all, I mean, we absolutely love justice, don't we? I mean, look at all the police shows that are out there. I mean, think about it for a moment. All the police shows, Life PD, any Life PD watchers, right? I mean, you can get, yeah, you can get sucked into that thing in no time. I mean, six hours later, you're sitting there like Cheetos and like uh, Coke stains on your shirt, and you're like, what happened to me? Oh, I mean, we just absolutely love justice and love police shows. I mean, think about it for a moment. CSI, any avid CSI watchers in here? I mean, my gosh, how many more cities are we going to invade with CSI? You know what I'm saying? I mean, we've hit every major city in the continental U.S. I mean, we just love it. We eat it up. The problem is we don't like justice when it's connected to God. The problem is we're cool with it. When justice goes for those that are acting or being a certain way, but whenever you want to look at justice as it's connected with God, we as Christians get a bit nervous about that. We get a bit nervous about this idea of hell or a God who would rightfully judge people. And so the secular world, what do they do? They grow furious at this idea, do they not? As if to be just and have wrath means that you're not loving. No, God is holy. He is righteous. He is loving and he is wrathful. He is all-encompassing of all of those things. And so the problem is, is our definition of love. And because it's messed up, it gets real, real confusing and the water gets muddied. But this is what I've learned. If you love something, you're far more likely to have wrath, are you not? When you love and care for something, you're far more, more uh, likely to have uh, wrath. And because our definition is messed up, it gets very confusing. It's very hard. But if you don't love something, if you don't care about something, then what could bring about judgment and wrath? But if you love it, now there's violence. Now there's aggression. There's wrath, judgment. Because what is sacred can be violated. What is sacred can be taken. And so when our definition of love is skewed, what happens is we miss out on the nature and character of God. What happens is that we don't truly understand and get who he is. So God in his love and his wisdom, what he does is he answers Habakkuk's prayer in the affirmative. Habakkuk didn't even get told no. Habakkuk approaches God and starts to have this dialogue and starts to talk with him. And God doesn't deny. God doesn't run. God answers yes. But Habakkuk said, are you going to just sit by idly and watch what's taking place in this nation? And God says, no, no, I'm not. I'm actually about to come. And so this morning, we're going to get to see that response to Habakkuk as, as he talks to God. Let, let, let's, let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for this time in your word. Father, we pray and ask God that you would move and speak in this place. Father, as the conversation gets more difficult, as we press in and we look and we see your heart, your character, your nature, God, help us to truly see who you are, that you are a God of love. But with love comes judgment. God, you've set a standard, you've set a way. Father, help us see and know. God, help us to be brokenhearted over those that are outside of your love and your grace at the moment. Those who don't know you personally, God, help us to be brokenhearted over the reality of what that means. Father, I pray for maybe even the one here that don't know you, Lord, that you would save, that you would rescue, God, that you would redeem. 
God, that through this conversation that Habakkuk has with you, that you would open up the reality of who you are in the hearts of people. God, that we would see and walk and love and desire you all the more. Father, thank you for being a God that listens. Thank you for being a God that engages. Thank you for being a God who loves and wants and desires us. Shame we pray. Amen. So we're going to see Habakkuk respond back to God here. Habakkuk 1, starting in verse 12. This is what the scriptures say. He says this. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? And so what we're going to see here is this is just flattery. Habakkuk's starting to just kind of flatter God, kind of puff him up a little bit, kind of trying to set him up is what he's trying to do. And what we need to understand is that we can't do that with God, that we are unable to do that. And the reason is this because God's all-knowing, right? God is well aware of even the thoughts that we have. I mean, is, is that not crazy? And you'll even see it in Jesus as he interacts with people, as he interacts with the religious leaders of the day. He'll call them out for what they're thinking, God in the flesh calls them out for what they are thinking. He responds to what they're thinking. And so we know that God is all-knowing and that he is everywhere. And so we can try to uh, uh, debate with him a little bit or we can try to uh, uh, reason or um, offer things to him a little bit. Has anyone ever done that? Like, God, if you'll just do this, I promise I'll never hit my dog again or I'll never, whatever it is that you should, if you hit your dog, talk to me after, we'll, we'll get you through that. But whatever it is that you're going through, like, 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 if you ever, like, just, like, God, if, I promise if you just don't do this, or if let this happen, or, or don't let this happen, then I'll never again, only to do what? Slip back into and do again, won't we? See, God's all-knowing. God is aware. He knows our heart. He knows our thoughts. He knows what tomorrow holds before we even get in it. And I'm trying to teach this principle to my, to my oldest right now. Um, it, it was crazy. We were driving home the other day. I pick him up from school. And um, again, we're, I mean, we're trying to disciple and love these little guys. Uh, we want God to get a hold of their heart and just shape them and mold them. And so, um, and, and they'll test you. Whenever, whenever you do this with your kids, just get ready. The more you try to teach them about the Lord, sometimes there'll be resistance. Their little minds run wild. And so um, I picked up Brody and we're heading back from school. Um, and it's on a Friday. And as we're heading back, we begin to talk, how's your day, buddy, those type of things. And it just so happened his uh, uncle had went to the beach uh, with his girlfriend and a couple other people, and they're at the beach. And so we're driving. He's like, when, when's B coming back? And I said, well, buddy, he'll be back Saturday. He's got church Sunday, things like that. He's like, okay. He's like, Dad? I said, yeah, buddy. He said, they're probably sleeping together. He's seven. He is seven. I'm like, <laughs> and so now my mind's like, oh, we're not doing that talk now, are we? His mom is not even here. We can't have that talk. And so we begin to kind of, so I'm, so I'm like, I'm diving into this thing. We got we to figure out real fast what's happening in that little mind. And so we begin to talk a little bit. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, at night they'll probably, they'll probably lay down and, and take a nap together. I'm like, okay, one, one, that's, okay, we're good there on one end. But now we need to kind of walk through another little thing that's happening. And I'm like, oh, okay, buddy. I said, well, well, probably not. I don't think that they will. There's some friends there and um, they're not married. And so you don't ever take a nap with somebody that's not your wife. See what I'm doing? This is good. We're, we're, we're going biblical now. Let's talk about what Jesus has set up. And so we, like, you don't, you don't lay down with, with girls that's not your wife, buddy. And then he goes there. Yeah, Dad, but the police won't know. <laughs> to which I say, you're right, but God will know. Ah, see, we, we flip this thing around real quick. I said, because, buddy, remember, God knows everything. Yeah, Dad, but the police won't be aware of that, and they won't come and get him. 
And I'm like, unless God tells them. And so we begin to have that conversation, and, and I tell this goofy story. One, so you'll pray for me to help me, and pray for his little heart too. Mary's like, oh, isn't it cute? I'm like, no, that's wicked, and we gotta, but, um, <laughs> so he'll, he'll start private school next week. No, I'm joking. But, um, <laughs> but I say that to say this, in that what I was trying to teach him and trying to show him is, is that no, nobody, God, God knows everything. Even when we don't think he's watching or he's unaware or we're secretive, or we're trying to be deceptive, or we're trying to, God is aware, and, and what, what I think is crazy, and what I love about the scriptures is this honesty, because what you see here is Habakkuk thinks for a moment that he can kind of back God into a corner, or he can kind of puff God up a little bit, and kind of uh, uh, make a big deal out of God, you are everlasting, I mean, can you imagine, oh God, you're everlasting, oh Lord, you're the holy one, I mean, then, then he goes on, he says this, he says, We shall not die, O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. I mean, look at how he's describing and talking to God, just puffing him up, making a big deal, flattering him. Verse 13 says, You who are of pure eye than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he? And so what Habakkuk's going to do here is he's going to back himself into a corner with his first complaint. He's going to back himself up. His, his first complaint is, God, you're idle about wickedness. And what God says is, no, I'm not idle. There's always justice and judgment for wickedness. In church, we should be broken over that reality. We should be broken over those that are outside the bounds of God, that, that are lost and don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We, we should be broken over that but, but God says, I'm not idle. I'm, I'm about to bring it now. And then Habakkuk says, well, well wait, wait a minute, God. I don't, I don't like how you're, going, how you're going to do that because the people that you're going to bring to overtake us or to overthrow us or to take us in captivity or do away with us, those people are more wicked than we. And we're wicked because they're wickeder. They're worse than we are. And he says, God, if you're so pure in your eyes and you're so everlasting, how could you allow that to happen? God, how could that possibly be? Surely we won't die. That surely can't be what you're going to do. And so Habakkuk here is flattering God while making an accusation at him. Look at the accusation as the story continues in verse 14. Here's the accusation. He says, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Verse 16, therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offering to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? So Habakkuk's problem with God is that he's using uh, what is unrighteous to punish what is unrighteous. And in doing that, he's going to allow the unrighteous to celebrate in its own strength and its own might and its own glory. And so what I love is how we're so far removed from that. How we're so much more mature than that. It is what we like to do is we like to kind of categorize sin or we kind of like to look at and do the same thing that Habakkuk does. And I know we're so much more dignified than he is at this time and we would never do something like that. But, but um, we, we like to just, I guess, look at how our sin is little and everybody else's sin is big and bad and wrong. And, but our sin, as little as it is, well, God will forgive us and he'll look over and he'll move past it and when in all reality, God, has already, God, God says no. 
God puts his son on the cross as a result of sin. So God doesn't take little sin, whatever we categorize as little sin or big sin, or, or God doesn't take any sin, can't stand any sin. And so he kind of tries to pick God and he tries to make that accusation of God, how, how would you allow some nation that's wicked and nastier than we to overtake us, though we're not that bad? And what Habakkuk misses, much like the church today, is the fact that there's any sin in the camp, period. That there's the fact that there's any rebellion, period. He overlooks that, and he tries to pin that on God. He tries to accuse him of that. And then look at, look at what he does in, in chapter 2, verse 1. Look at, look at Habakkuk. Look, look, just, I mean, just imagine this for a moment. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look and see and look out to see what he will say to me, and I will answer concerning my complaint. I mean, look at Habakkuk's swagger there. I mean, man. I mean, I, mean, I, I can appreciate the confidence that he has. I'm just going to position myself here, and I'll see what you have to say, God. I'll be right here waiting on you. I mean, is that not crazy? God, you're so big, great, blank, all this stuff. And then, oh, oh, by the way, you would never let the wicked er take over the little wicked. And I'm going to stand here. I'm going to see what God has to say about that. See, see, we'll see what his response is to me. See what he thinks. And so I just want to press this this morning, church, because if we live long enough, there's going to be those times where things are happening and what God is doing does, just doesn't make sense to us. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to us. So, so, so um, hold your spot there, but, but look at Psalm 5117. It's going to be on the screen, but this, this is what the psalmist says, 5117. He says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. You will not despise. See, see, when we go, God, help me, help me, help me. Where, where are you, God? God says, I never despise that. God says, I won't turn away from that. And kind of this macho culture that we live in that says, I've got it all figured out. I've got it. I can just, just fake it till I make it, or I can just add, act big and bad, or I can just talk louder, or I can just be boisterous, or I can do all of this stuff to just show how good and great I am. God says, he doesn't like that. What God likes is that broken spirit, that broken heart, that, that heart of desperation, that heart that recognizes and understands how weak and how much need there is for God. And he says, I'll never despise that. I'll never despise that. So, so it's very important to understand positioning when you're in an argument, Right? Like when you have a disagreement or you enter into a conversation, um, it, it's very important and it's obvious that Habakkuk is unaware right now, kind of the moment and argument and the conversation uh, that he's in. Um, but, but for us, as we argue and as we talk and as we debate and as we do those type of things, it's very important for us to, to understand our positioning. So let, let me try to illustrate for a second. So there, there's two types in my house that takes place. There's, uh, there's me and Meredith. Uh, that have disagreements and don't see eye to eye. I know that's hard to believe, but it happens. Um, and so there, there's Meredith and myself. And then on the other hand, you've got me and my two boys. So th there, there's me and a seven-year-old and a soon-to-be four-year-old. And, and then you've got Meredith. And so just to kind of give you a, an example with, with my wife, uh, the, the thing that I like to say, and even when I do premarital counseling and stuff like that, uh, I like to say things like this, like, I will lose the battle so I can win the war. 
I will lose the battle so I can win the war. Let me try to illustrate that for a second. So um, for me, I really don't care what movie we go see. I really don't care what color we paint the walls. I really don't care where we eat. Those type of things really don't matter. Babe, whatever you want. Boo, you pick it. I'm in. Sure. Pink. I love pink walls. Let's do it. Whatever you want. That's just not, not a big deal for me. And so I want, I want to sub, I say submit. I'll, I'll, submit's probably a good word there. Um, those type of things really just don't matter to me. Because I know that there's going to come a day where I'm going to have to step up and I'm going to have to make hard decisions for our family. I'm going to have to lead us into some pretty difficult things and some uh, stuff like that. And so uh, t- to kind of illustrate this all the more, um, we, we were dating at the time. We were engaged at the time. And so she moves from West Virginia after she graduates school to Roanoke, Virginia. And as she moves to Roanoke, Virginia, uh, I'm just down the road a little bit in Lynchburg, Virginia at college. And this is like the closest we've ever been. And so she's there for about three months. And like, we're, like we actually get to like date and do all this cool stuff and hang out even through the week some. And it's like awesome and so we're doing that, and um, at the time, I just graduated school, and I was trying to figure out what, what's God's plan for us next, what he's going to do, and so I'm interviewing, and there was a church down here that brought me down, and I interviewed, and she was aware of it, and we're, we're praying, and we're seeking, but then there's some churches there that's interviewing me, and uh, looking to pursue, and see what, uh, what might happen there, and so we're praying through this whole thing, and as we're doing it, um, I can remember coming to her, and I'm like, all right, baby, I got it. She's like, what do you got? I says, I feel like God has answered where we're to go. She's like, awesome. Roanoke? I said, South Carolina. And she's like, I just moved here. I'm like, I know, but I will see you in about six months. When we get married, it's going to be great. You just hang out here, do your thing. And when we get married in six months, we'll do it. And, and be married, and we'll be in the house again. And we don't have to, we'll never be separated again. It'll be awesome. And so, we, and so I tried to paint this picture. And, and, and so I can remember that conversation <laughs> can't you um, and, and so I remember that conversation and as we talked it was one of those things of I've got to move here to, to Roanoke so we could be closer and I've got this career that's going at the hospital at Roanoke and and you know, like we weren't even married so she, she could bolt anytime you know like there's a ring but it ain't a thing yet you know what I'm saying and so she could like just exit stage left but she says I think this is just God setting up and establishing some things that are to come and she said Scott you know what she says I really don't want to move to South Carolina. But if that's where you believe God's leading us, then I want to submit and I want to go. And I want to be under your headship and your leadership. And I believe that you're seeking God in this. And though I don't want, God will change my heart and he'll bring it about. And over time, he did that. Before, before we even moved down, he did that. And so then to fast forward uh, a little bit further along, um, and, and I think I've told this story here before, but it, but it was one of those things. I'm five years into a great ministry at a church and doing student ministry and loving it, and, and I'm able to do ministry how I want to do ministry, and it's just a great place where a part of a great church and a great small group, and there's some cool things happening in the community, and God's just doing a work. And in that, uh, probably a year before the decision is made, God starts to stir my heart. There's something that he's doing. I thought that I would retire in student ministry and that I'd be in student ministry my whole life. And um, he's starting to stir. And as he's starting to stir, Mary and I begin to talk and we begin to pray. And I get a call from a crazy guy that planted a church 13 years ago that wants to eat breakfast with me. And I said, okay. And I remember looking at Meredith when we got the call and I said, but I don't need to talk to a pastor. I've got a pastor. But I go anyways. And as I go, after we finish, he's like, all right, when do you start? And I'm like, dude, I hadn't even prayed. He's like, well, I have, you're the guy. And I'm like, are you kidding? Um, let, let, me go, let me go talk to my wife and begin the process of praying and fasting and see what God would have for us. And, 
So I can remember going back, and she's like, what was that about? I'm like, oh, baby, you're going to sit down. And so she sits down, I'm like, you may want to stand up. I don't know. <laughs> I may want to sit down. Maybe we should have this on the phone so you can't hit me. Um, I'm joking, she's never hit me hard. Um, <laughs> but but as, as we're starting to talk, and I'm starting to share with her, and she's like, are you serious? I said, yeah, isn't that cool? She's like, no, it's really not. I said, but babe, remember we started to pray, and we feel like God's kind of doing some stuff in my heart and in us, and we're trying to figure out what, he, what he's doing, and and I didn't even go after, this guy came after me. Like, like I didn't, I mean, who, uh. and, and it's going to be great because it's going to go from a full-time job to a part-time job, so isn't that appealing? So that means I'm going to have to work at, at another job, it's, it's going to be great, and we're going to make less money, and it's going to be awesome. She's like, you didn't have me at the beginning of this thing, man. You're not building your case any better. I'm like, but the best part about it, I believe God's in this. I believe God's all in this. And so we begin to pray and we begin to fast and I can remember having a conversation with her and she's like, Scott, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't want to. I don't want to do it. She's like, but if you believe this is where God's leading our family, she's like, then I'm in. I, I was in the moment that I said I do. I'm in if this is where you believe God's leading us. And so what does she do? She jumps in and we pray and we continue to seek God and in that we are six years into this thing here at New Life. So that's one side of positioning. That's one side of understanding and knowing there. And then there's the other side. And so it's, it's with me and my boys. And, it, and it's, not quite, it's not even close to being like that. So, so with my boys, with Brody and Bennett, they're under me. I'm responsible for them. Um, so, so when they come to me and they engage in conversation or to engage in debate or conflict, it, it's one of those things where dad will just step up sometimes and be like, no, dude, no, it's not happening. No, you cannot have a Coke before bedtime. Because I know that, no, you cannot have an ice cream sundae at 9.30 on a school night. First, what are you doing up at 9.30? And then we go into that whole dialogue, and we go that way. So it's, it's all about positioning and understanding uh, in, in this debate or this argument or this uh, engagement in conversation. It's all about understanding position. And, and so hear me, church, it's okay to hurt. It's okay to be bothered. It's okay to have questions for God. But hear me, we need to understand our position in it. I believe God longs and loves these kind of conversations with us. But the problem in engaging, the problem is, is understanding what position we're in. Because so often we love us, do we not? We love to celebrate ourselves. We think that we are unreal. And I say it like this, nobody loves Scott more than Scott. But nobody loves you more than you. Nobody is the greatest fan of you than you. And so I think that's why Facebook and Instagram, all these platforms of social media, that's why I think they can be very, very dangerous. And this is not me trying to, to bash that because I've got Facebook and Instagram. Because I believe that those platforms can be used for good as well. But what it has done is it's allowed for this natural bent of the human heart to have a place to kind of play in that realm all the more. Look how great, look how awesome I am. And so we live in this selfie, look at how awesome and great my life is, the me, me, me culture. And it's just in direct conflict with the way that Jesus has called us to live and be. And we celebrate us more than we've ever celebrated us. And we think more of ourselves than we've ever thought more of ourselves. And so we just need to be very, very careful in that arena. See, I just believe the natural posture of a follower of Jesus should be that of humility and pointing to the grandeur and glory of Jesus. So as many selfies as you post, there should be as much praise, no more praise, for the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we've just got to be careful. We've got to guard against that. And what you can see is kind of this heart of Habakkuk here as he begins to engage God in conversation. 
as he begins to, to point to and show and kind of uh, uh, stick out his chest a little bit as he has and he uh, kind of accuses God of some things here. And see, the thing that we've got to be careful of, church, is this, is that we're limited. We can't understand. We don't see everything. We are so unaware of, so limited. Like you have no idea what's happening behind you right now. None whatsoever. Unless you were to turn around. See, that's not God. God is well aware of what's happening behind, in front, happening tomorrow, happening three weeks from now. And we are so limited to the here and now in this moment. And so what I want to do is I just want to look at kind of at man's creativeness real quick. And then I want to show you in the scriptures or kind of our actual place in the world. Where we need to land and where we need to be. And so my question for you to kind of just start out is, is, is how many of you have been on the internet this week? And this is not like a, try to catch you. I want to see, show, who's been on the internet? Right, yes, thank God for the internet, right? Nothing has changed our world like the internet, am I right? I mean, nothing. Like, like, do you remember, you guys probably will have no clue, but do you remember when you had to pick up the phone and actually call the movie theater to see what was playing? Shh, back there. Ah, I missed it. What? Ah, I missed it. You know? Like, you couldn't just jump on and figure out, and if you didn't have the paper, then you were done. You had to make the phone call, and you had to listen to, and it's usually what your movie was the last movie, right? Like, I grew up in that generation. I was there, man. Like, I knew. Or, or what about this? What about trying to find directions? Like, you can't just pull out your phone and say, get me to 7-Eleven, da-da-da-da. Go. There was a thing called a map. They are real. And, and if, if we fast forward a little bit, there was the internet where you could look it up on the map. MapQuest, and you could put in the address, and it would give you turn by turn, so you didn't have to just follow out the thing yourself and hope and be like, okay, yeah, right here. No, no, it's left. Turn it, babe. Turn. Oh, yeah, left. Like, you didn't have to do that. You would like, turn right. Step one, two, ten, twelve, fifty, however many steps there were to get you to where you needed to be. But not now, right? The internet has exploded and has uh, awakened us to this whole new world. And so it's amazing on one side, but it's also dark on the other if you're not careful. And so what it has done is it's, it's done this. It's brought into our homes what one time was extremely difficult to get our hands on. So if we, if we track the growth of pornography with the growth of sexual assault and abuse, we'll see that they hang very closely together. Very closely together. And what's happened is, is we've made it culturally okay to have those things to the detriment of our, our women and to the detriment of our relationship with other people. And so we've seen those type of things. There's, there's a good side to it. But then there's also a very dangerous and dark side to it. What, what about this example? What about antibiotics? And so because of the rate in which we're taking antibiotics, it's creating strains of bacteria that are resistant to the antibiotics. So what do we do? We make stronger antibiotics, right? To do what? To have it just morph even more. So we make stronger. And then we know how this ends, do we not? We're all zombies eating one another. Like We, we know what happens if we continue to go down this road. But the problem is this. We live in this let's fix it world. We live in this let's fix it stage. And it's fixing it. And, and what it does is it just makes the problem worse. And then what do we do? We fix the worst problem only to make the problem even more worse. And so we continue down that road in that cycle going around and around and around. When we don't realize and understand what the real problem is, the real problem is that we're limited. That we're so limited and fragile the scripture says what, that, that life is what but a vapor. And it's only here for a short time. See, our time is limited. Our understanding is limited. Our involvement, even in the story, is so limited. That's why Romans 8 puts it this way, that the mindset on the flesh is what death. 
The mindset on me is death. This thought of let's fix it, let's make this happen, let me correct it. All it does is bring death. I'm not saying we shouldn't press in and we shouldn't try. But we should seek the one first that has the answer. But the contrary to that, the scriptures would teach that the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. The mindset on the reality of I want to know God, I want to follow God, I want to chase God. That's where the mind and the heart should be set. And now you see how screwy things have gotten in the church? You see how crazy things have gotten in the church? What, what I mean by that is this. What's the church known for? I mean, think about it for a moment. What are we known for as the church? I'm talking universal, not so much here, but universal. The, the church is what known for, for this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Modify this. Modify this. Don't act like this. Don't, don't let them go here. Don't let them do that. Don't let them do this. Don't, 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 don't. And we don't have a clue what we're to stand for. All we know is the no's. And we're scared to death to preach grace and to preach mercy because if, if we tell them it's all about grace and mercy, then they'll, they'll live like hell and do whatever they want to do and it won't matter because it's all about grace. To that I always say then they don't have a clue about grace. Because what happens, what happens whenever someone gives you the greatest, best gift you've ever been given? Don't you want to honor that person that gave the gift? Don't you want to do with the gift what the gift was made for and honor that person that has given the gift? Church, Jesus has given us the gift. And so when we talk about grace, when we talk about mercy, we're not going to take advantage of the gift. All that does is show our, the reality that we don't understand what the gift is, that, that we don't fully grasp and get the gift, and maybe we're not a part of the gift. And so the church is known for don't, 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 don't. A majority of the people become some sort of moral grid of behaviors. That's what we've set up. But Romans 8, what that tells us, as I just read, is that leads to death. What leads to life and peace is life in the Spirit. Jesus on the cross is the wrath-absorbing act that pulls God's judgment off of those who believe. For those of us who come to Jesus in faith, believing in the redemptive work of the cross, entering into relationships, seeing ourselves for who we are, sinful and wicked and in need of a Savior, what happens is that judgment and that wrath has been absorbed by Jesus on the cross. That's the great news of the gospel. Why would we ever want to take advantage of that? Why would we ever want to pull that away? So, so the resurrection is, is, is God washing us clean from our shame and our guilt. That's what it is. So whatever's going on in your life, whatever's going on in your addictions, whatever's going on in your relationships, whatever's causing this churning in your soul, hear me, you're not the answer. You can't just work harder. You can't just try harder. You need to seek God and walk in God. You can't just fix it. You need to press in. You need to step into and let him restore. Let him fix the problem because only Jesus can do that. Church, we've got to realize we're limited. And so as the band comes back up here this morning, what we see in the story is that Habakkuk speaks up that God hears and he responds. And then what happens is Habakkuk responds and he questions God again. But the problem is with Habakkuk's response is that he's limited. He's limited and he can't see when approaching a God who's limitless, who sees all things and is aware of all things. And what Habakkuk doesn't understand is that God's got a plan. That God's about to work and God is about to do in a mighty, mighty way. And though it's confusing and though we don't like the, the course of action that God's taken, and God is good, God is loving, and God is working something out far, far greater than we could ever imagine. 
So my question to you this morning, church, where in your life right now do you need to, to be reminded of and submit to the limitless of God? How limitless he is. Where do you need to submit to that? Is it in work? Is it at your job, maybe? Is it in a relationship? Is it maybe in your family, maybe with a spouse, or maybe with kids, or is it in your finances? Or maybe is there health issues going on? Hear me, it's okay not to have it all figured out. It's okay to understand that we're limited. What we do have is access to the one that is unlimited. What we do is we have access and we can have relationship with the one that holds everything in the palm of his hand. See, you and I have a God that's limitless. He has all things under control. All we have to do is submit, walk, trust, believe, seek, pursue. Never forget that he is working all things for his glory and for our good. Will you join me as we pray? Father, help us this morning. Realize, see, submit to. God, help us to understand our position. God, we are so small and fragile, limited, and you are complete opposite. So, Father, I, I say that knowing in all reality the hurt and the hang-up in this room this morning is probably out of this world. So, Father, I know the tendency sometimes is to kind of wax over that, and God, I don't want to. Because, God, I've been in those same places. God, why would you? God, do you even care? God, are you paying attention? God, why? God, you've always brought me to that place, to the end of myself, where I realize and see you for who you are. And so, Father, as we continue to walk through this conversation that Habakkuk has with you, God, help us to remember that you've got all things in your hands and that you're working something out far greater than we could ever expect or see. And so, God, for some of us in the room, we may not have our answer until the other side of eternity. But, God, help us position ourselves where we need to be, right under you, trusting and walking and engaging you like you've called us to. Father, move in this place this morning, I pray. It's in your name. Amen. I'm going to ask if you guys stand. Eric, they're going to lead us. If you need to come pray, I mean, if you'd like to talk to us, what it means, anything that we can do, I'll be here. But this altar is open, and you be obedient to what God calls you to in this moment.